John 6, verse 60. Last week we did question and answers part two, and we're doing question and answers part three this evening. And um, I've, I've enjoyed studying this. I often, oftentimes when I talk to pastors and preachers, uh, and they ask me about counseling, counseling sessions and all that stuff, and counseling uh, church members or, or anybody, you know, one of the one of the things I, I tell them that I do regularly, and I learned this as a young preacher from an older preacher too, younger preacher, uh, that is ask questions. Ask questions. I love to ask questions. There's something really powerful about asking questions of people. Questions demand an answer, and Jesus was the master of that. He asked great questions to provoke thought, and he, he did that a lot. And, of course, earlier in this chapter, we talked about it last week, we talked about that word whence, whence, Right from what source, or where are you going to get this? From what source was Jesus going to feed that multitude? And the disciples struggled with that question. They were bewildered by that. And two hundred penny worth, which I think we found out was, we discussed that in our question and answer session, was seven months worth of pay. And Jesus ends up taking the sack lunch from a young lad who he offered it up willingly. At least Andrew made it sound like he did. And uh, and he takes that, blesses it, and feeds the multitude. We love the question that Jesus asked there. Now, this is the same chapter, remember? Okay, same chapter. Now, um, most believe it's around the same time. So he just fed all these people. These people are very happy. Uh, they got full bellies, and they should be happy. But then Jesus begins to preach the truth. He teaches some things. He talks about the live, being the living bread in verse 51. And uh, we had this, my, me and my wife and daughters had an interesting discussion about this late at night last night. Of all, of all times, we began to discuss how we are seeing in this generation the fulfillment of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Where the Bible says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. That's, that's a biblical prophecy. The time will come. Now Paul's not saying he went through that time. But the Paul is saying the time will come, and I believe we're seeing that now. It is unbelievable what we are seeing today. And I think you'll see tonight from this question that Jesus asks what we can learn from that and, and how, to, how to make sure we are still true to his word and, more importantly, true to the Savior himself as we try to stay faithful to him. Uh, like, he's, like Brother Chitty said, until he comes or until I go, <laughs> right? Um, and so here we are in verse 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, Jesus says he's a living bread, and he begins to preach and teach controversy. What's controversial? Let's see. The truth. Isn't that sad? The controversy is controversial. Uh, truth can be controversial. It shouldn't be. The truth is the truth, but it is very controversial, uh, especially to people who just don't want to believe it. Here it is in verse 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? So that's the first question, not Jesus asked this. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, he asked them, did this offend you? What a, what a just a point blank question that Jesus asked. The Bible says, what? And if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew that from the beginning, watch this, uh, Jesus knew that from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto, uh, come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, look at this statement, many of his disciples went back. 
I mean, it, sometimes we paint this picture that Jesus always had massive people following him all the time until the day he died on the cross. But the Bible tells us here in John 6, and it's interesting. It's just an interesting thing. I'm not one of those crazy numbers guys. You guys know that. I'm not one of those. But there's only two verses in the whole Bible that have chapter 6, verse 66, and here's one of them. It's just, it's just an interesting thought that 666 is the verse that you find the words that says that many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Now, it's interesting because the Bible says from that time many of his disciples, disciples are disciplined ones, ones that follow Jesus, right? But then the Bible says this in verse 67, then said Jesus unto the twelve. So there's, there's a lot of disciples at this time. We're laying the groundwork. They're all following Jesus. They like the miracles, and you're going to see the difference between the massive group of disciples and the twelve. And I love what I heard a preacher say many years ago, and I do believe this to be true. The, the, the closer we get to the end, we will see parallels of what Jesus experienced in his earthly ministry uh, before his second coming or before the rapture. And we, we are starting to see that. And of course, the Jews rejected him. And uh, thank God we Gentiles have been saved now, all right? So many of his disciples walk on. So then Jesus turns to his 12, all right? He turns to the 12 and asks another question. It's very simple. Will ye also go away? <laughs> Again, just matter of fact, point blank. Did this offend you? Then he turns to the 12 and says, will ye also go away? And I love what Peter says. This verse, I know many preachers say that when Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, that's when Peter, not that he earned the right, but that's when God said, okay, Peter, you're going to preach the day of Pentecost. Could I throw in another thought? I think at that time, a lot of people were believing he was a Christ. I think when Peter asked this question that he asked right here, this might have been the qualifying moment when God says, you're going to preach the day of Pentecost. Watch what Peter says. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, what are the next two words? This is so critical. Oh, my. To whom shall we go? Wow. The wisdom and profundity of that verse, that question that he asked is so amazing. So as we study these passages, we're just talking about nine, ten verses here. There are multiple questions that are asked. Multiple questions asked by the people, asked by the disciples, and asked by Jesus. To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thank you, Miss Stacy. So tonight, I want to just take a few moments and encourage you with this thought and, and kind of show you what one of the big differences um, between the crowd that leaves and the crowd that stays is. Um, first of all, the question needs to be asked. Here on a Wednesday night, people are watching online, and I know we have about 80 other people in the other parts of the building, 50 over there and about 30 downstairs. So thank the Lord for all that's going on over here. But tonight, just for you all, here in this auditorium and watching online, a question is simply this. Doth this offend you? That's the first question we should ask. Does the truth of God's word still offend you? Does it offend you? Does it offend the word? Does the word of God offend the people of God today? Uh, it's sadly, it seems like it has become that way. We have... We are observing a rise in Christianity that is redefining Christianity. And a lot of the redefining of Christianity comes from personal desires, personal wishes, personal uh, hopes and aspirations, and not from specifically the Word of God. So the Word of God still has got to be our source and our foundation for what we believe, or we fall, we fail. The Word of God has got to be. All right? Every... Uh, you know, every man-made doctrine is just going to be blown around with the wind. And it changes every few years, right? Same stage, just different actors. And so we need to be wise in making sure that our foundation is the Word of God. The 
word of God tonight should not offend us ever. It's God's word. Does it bother me sometimes? Sure. Does it, uh, does it annoy me sometimes? Sure. Our family had recent dentist appointments, and thank God I had no cavities. That's always a blessing. But two of our family members had them, and nobody likes to hear those news. But at the same time, you're thankful for a dentist who tells, don't worry, I've had some in the past, but I ain't bragging this time. But, but when a dentist that tells you the truth and says, hey, we found a cavity here, that's the truth. You may not want to hear it, but it's necessary so that we can fix it so that our tooth doesn't bother us eventually in the long run and cause more complicated problems, which can be even more expensive, right? And so the truth should not offend us. The word of God should not offend us as Christians. It can bother us. It can stir us up. It can make us frustrated at times. But, but it's God's word, period. It should not. I think it's just sad that Jesus is feeling like he has to ask this question. And I believe he's asking in 2023 of preachers, of churches, and Christians, does my word offend you? Do biblical standards offend you? Does biblical holiness offend you? Does the word of God offend you? Are we living in a generation now where we are offended by God's word? Listen, a true born-again Christian, if we're going to use the word offense properly, we should be offended by the acceptance and, and, and just toleration of sin today, right? We, we as Christians are, are supposed to stand as the light, the salt of the earth. Again, we're not better than anybody else. I, I am just saved by the grace of God, but I'm not better than anybody in this city. I'm not better than the man that's in prison. I'm not better than anybody else. I deserve hell clearly tonight. And it was the truth that told me that. It was the truth that taught me that. And so if I was not offended by the truth of salvation, then post-salvation, after salvation, as God continued to teach me his word through the Holy Spirit, I should really desire and be challenged to improve and grow in the grace of God. So that's the first question. Doth this offend you, right? Second question is Jesus says this, will you also go away? Are you going to leave too? Are you going to leave too? So, I mean, what a chapter, right? It's a long chapter. There's 71 verses. You go back and read the whole chapter. You talk about ups and downs, man. I heard a preacher preach years ago on this message one time at a conference I was at. He said, how to lose 5,000 in Sunday school in one message. And this is, he used this chapter. Because he had like five, a big crowd of people that were, yay, Jesus. And all of a sudden, they left him. They just left him. They just left him, right? And Jesus knew this was coming. And, of course, Jesus knew the plan. He knew that he was going to be crucified. He knew he was going to resurrect. He knew the Holy Spirit was going to come down. And then the church is going to turn the world upside down. And here we are 2,000 years later still, thank God, still reading and studying the word of God. And being taught the principles of God's word. And still being able to preach it freely in a country that God has blessed in spite of all our failures and even our down, down going, right? We're still a blessed nation. But Jesus asked that question, will you go away also, all right? Uh, verse 66, again, he says, uh, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. He turns to his 12, he turns to the 12 and says, will you also go away? Now, that's the question he asks, will you also go away? There's nothing really said about it. He's just being consistent with what's happening there. This, he's following the, the events of that moment. So his question is a very reasonable question, okay? The 12 are standing here kind of watching. They just saw the miracle, the feeding of all the multitudes. And now he asks, he sees people leaving. They're leaving, they're leaving, they're leaving, they're leaving, they're leaving, they're leaving. And he turns to the 12 and says, will you go away also? Now here's number three. And here's the question. Again, the message on Wednesday night aren't long. We'll give you a chance to do a Q&A in a second. In a second, then we'll take some testimonies and praises and all that. Um, the, here's the difference, okay? Here's what I want you to see tonight. Verse 67, 
will you also go away? All right. Verse 68. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord. Again, here it is. To whom shall we go? Christianity is, is on a very dangerous ground right now in 2023. And here's the difference. Christianity is now being divided by two concepts. There is a what Christianity and a whom Christianity. The what Christianity is, it's, it's, it's philosophies and its fallings are all about what, what will benefit me. I, I met with, uh, recently I met with a young couple that was asking some questions about our church. And, uh, and it, was, it was a great meeting. And, you know, I'm, I, I love meeting with people. And, and the older I get, the more I understand that everybody's at different levels. And, and I like to answer their questions. But when I left the meeting that day, I, I was, I, the thought that came to my mind that really bothered my heart a little bit was there was not one question asked about how we could get closer to Jesus or how we can do anything for Jesus. All the questions were centered around what, what's, what are you going to do for me? What are you going to do for my family? What are you going to do for my baby? What are you going to do for my, my children? What are you going to do for my, what are you going to do for me? How are you going to, you know, me, me, me. It was all about me, myself, and I. And, and look, I wasn't mad. I answered all the questions and as nice as I could. But I see that as a trend today. Christianity, churches, what are you going to do for me, Right? Christianity and churches should be about who, not what. The case in point is, if you look at our heritage as Christians, forget, let's put aside just the phrase Baptist, right? Christians down through the ages have sacrificed their lives. And again, I say, I say it from time to time, if you've never read Fox's Book of Martyrs, read it. Every Christian should read that at least one time in your life. I've read it three times. I've read it two times quickly after I got saved, and I read it another third time later on. But it's, a, it's an amazing book. It just challenges you and convicts you about these Christians who died for Jesus. They died for Jesus. In other words, their what category wasn't checked off very much, but they died for the who of Christianity. The who. Christianity has got to be about the who. Think about it. Spell it out. Christianity. Christianity. How, how do we even get that word without Christ, right? Christ. I'm not big on phonics, right? I'm not. I, I, I grew up in a different generation. My wife was a great teacher of phonics. I grew up in a deaf home. You don't teach deaf kids how to read by phonics, right? You know, P and all, you know, E, E, E as an Ed and, you know, whatever, all the, the things they say. But the other day I was listening to a teacher teach a child, and they were trying to teach them some phonics, and the word Christmas came up. And they struggled with Christmas because Christmas broke the rule of phonics. Well, maybe we should pronounce it the right way. Christmas. I mean, Christmas is nothing without Christ. Did I just offend a lot of homeschool moms right now that are big on phonics? No. Uh, but think about Christianity. We've lost the Christ. Maybe it should be Christinanity, right? Emphasizing Christ. Listen, the who of our Christianity is so much more important than the what's. Don't get me wrong. I'll be a big hypocrite if I don't say this statement. Right? I love the what's. I do. I love his blessings. I love his kindness. I love the things he does for us on a, on a regular basis. I love when he, he blesses me financially. I love when he gives me some, some neat uh, uh, whatever. I mean, we all know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of neat what's to being a Christian. I mean, just... Just all the attributes that God gives to us, joy, love, peace, mercy, all those wonderful things, right? I thank God for all the what's. And even here as Christians in America, not going back to Fox's book of martyrs, 
the Christians that died, the Christians in Africa right now that, that don't have all the luxuries we have today to come to church, to a warm building, to drive a nice car, to, to get here and go back home tonight and sleep in a nice bed and, and take a, a hot shower and all that stuff. All those what's are a blessing, don't get me wrong. But what would happen tonight if all the what's were taken away from Christians in America? Would we be able to stay with him because of who he is? And that's why it's so profound. You got Peter's going to struggle. Peter's going to fall. Peter's going to deny Jesus three times. But he still knew who. Who was at the center of everything. And after he gets restored, you never see him struggle again. I mean, he's, he's a sinner. He fails, I'm sure. But I'm talking about he, he didn't deny Jesus again. And history tells us he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the same way Jesus was. That's not in the Bible. All right? So don't go looking for it like I did when I first got saved. I spent three hours looking for that verse, and it wasn't there. But that's what history teaches, that, Jesus, that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified like Jesus was. You know why? He graduated from the what's and went to the who's. The who's. In our marriages, who we are married to should mean so much more than the what's, right? I'm glad, I have an excellent wife that cooks. I mean, look at me. She's a good cook, right? But what if she quit quick, quick, quick cooking for me tomorrow? Probably a good thing, right? But no. Who she is. Who we are. As we grow, when it, when it comes to our kids, my wife and I tease each other all the time how two people could have four such different children, right? And they all four have different gifts and different skills and different strengths and different whatever, fill in the blank. But you start to love the who of those children, their personalities, what makes them different. And you realize that God has made everybody uniquely different, right? And when it comes back to Christianity, Peter asks a very wise, profound question. To whom shall we go? Who? He didn't say where, he didn't say what, he didn't say when, he didn't say how. He says to whom. Beautiful. Beautiful. And that's why the 12 stayed with Jesus. And that's why the 12 turned the world upside down. And that's why we have church today. Because they learned the power, the principle of choosing between the what's and the who. The what's are great, I love them. But live on the who side and appreciate the what's. Don't live on the what side and sometimes call out to the who. Make sure it's all about the whom. Who Jesus Christ says to you. That's the difference. That's the question and answers for tonight. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes in prayer real quickly.